If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. On today's episode, I'm interviewing the gorgeous Carly. Carly always knew that she'd need a sperm donor if she was to make her mother dreams come true, but at 28, she decided to stop looking for the right partner and to just embark on this journey alone. She now has three absolutely gorgeous children, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. So welcome to the podcast, Carly. Pretty excited to have you here today. You're one of the few solo mums by choice that I follow that actually has more than one child. So really excited to get in depth as to how you are going on your journey. So I guess we start with what made you decide to become a solo mum by choice? Thanks. Um, well, firstly, I want to say that I'm really excited to do this um, because I've been really enjoying the podcast series so far. So I'm very excited that it's my turn. Um <laughs> I, um, I've kind of always just wanted to be a mum. I feel like that's a really similar theme. Um, I mean, solo parent by choice is not something that you go into mildly. So um, I've just had that really strong desire, urge to be a parent. And I knew that was always a definite. It was not, you know, do I want kids? Do I not? You know, it, it was this is going to happen and I just don't know how it will look in the future, but I knew it was going to to be something that I, w- I was going to be a mum at some point. Yeah. Um, uh, how I got um, to that decision, well, I guess I had some health issues when I was younger. Um, I went uh, and I, I, I knew that it was a possibility that my fertility could have potentially been affected from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of in the back of my mind, Um, that I didn't want to, I guess, leave it too late or, you know, I didn't have any testing done or anything like that, but I just, I was just conscious that that might be at play. Um, And I went through, you know, some long-term relationships and and things like that. And, um, you know, it just didn't eventuate. It didn't get to the point where I, you know, we decided to have children and whatnot. And after I was single for a while, I just, I, I thought, you know what, this is, this is what I want. I want to have children more currently than I want a partner. And so I didn't really have much toing and froing over it. I knew, 
I just it just felt right yeah. for, for a really long time. Um, and so I just I had someone in that I followed um, online. Um, I used to I used to read her blog posts and I and she was a single parent by choice and I just thought, wow, yeah, this is like, this is, this is it. This is definitely what I want to do. And we connected and we chatted and she was really helpful um, with a few questions that I had in the early days. And then, yeah, I just went for it. So what age were you when you decided this is it, this is what I'm going to do? Um, I, I was younger than the average, I would say. Um, I decided when I was 28 that I was going to, um, start to have a uh, try to have a baby um and it took a year on and off um of trying and I fell pregnant when I was 29 mm-hmm. and I yeah I had Lucy um yeah I turned 33 months after I had her so yeah and so what was the process you had to go through to get her um Well, I definitely knew that I wanted to use an anonymous donor or identity release donor, as they're referred to. Um, I didn't have anybody in mind that I wanted to ask sort of as as a known donor set up, but it wasn't something that I was interested in doing. Um, And I, I had a number of friends that had used a particular clinic in Sydney um, near where I live and they always had glowing reviews of this particular clinic and also babies out of it so that was a positive um and so yes yeah so I mean I, I just went there and you know um spoke to them about the process and they did the usual which seems to be a similar thing that they recommend you know trying three IUIs and then if that doesn't work then look at, at IVF so I did three IUIs um split across a year so I didn't do them back to back I just sort of spread them out a little bit and um yeah they were unsuccessful and so then I decided to to do um a round of IVF so yeah I did that and I was on the lowest dose of all the drugs and I still got um ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome so um yeah which I believe um I mean it's quite a low chance of that happening but Yes, unfortunately, I was one of the unlucky ones. So I ended up in hospital for about five days and it was not fun at all. Um, Yeah, but, um, you know, I feel like in a way it was kind of a blessing in disguise because I got so many eggs out of that one cycle that that was me done. Like I was good. Um, Yeah, they they got 29 eggs. Oh, um, imagining how bloated you must have felt before collection. Oh, it was awful. It was it was rough, but yeah, because of that, I I got myself quite a stash of embryos, and um, that kind of put me in a good place. And I thought to myself, like that was awful, but hopefully, hopefully, I don't have to do that again. <laughs> um, yeah, and I was right. So, and so, did you go into your treatment thinking that you wanted to have quite a large family? Uh, no. I didn't. I I knew I definitely wanted the one and probably probably a sibling, yeah. um, but no, I didn't really have any specific plans. I just thought one, possibly a sibling, and we'll just see how we go. Um, so yeah, I had Lucy in um, 2015, and then I, when she was a little bit over one, I decided that I was ready to transfer another embryo. Mm-hmm. So um, 
I transferred one and it was unsuccessful. And then the next month, I lost five in the thaw process, actually, which I thought was interesting. Mm. Um, And then the sixth one worked and that was Theo and he was born um, in October 2017. So they're just over two years apart. I was just trying to do the maths there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Lucy turned two and then three weeks later, Theo was born. Yeah. So, yes. And then I obviously went back for a third. (laughs) (laughs) So now I have Gracie. (laughs) Did you lose any embryos between Theo and Gracie or...? Uh, yes, I lost two, three. Uh, so I did one transfer that was unsuccessful with Gracie. And then the next month when I did another transfer, I lost two more. So although I started off with 29 eggs, that was 14 embryos. Wow. One of those fresh was Lucy and that worked on that first fresh transfer. So then I had 13. You were able to do a fresh transfer, even though you had hyperstimulation. Yes, because it wasn't picked up until after I had already had the transfer. So I developed the oh. hyperstimulation sin, uh, symptoms the in that first week of the two-week wait. So it was already done and dusted. The, the embryo was transferred and then I started to swell and bloat and, you know, be in pain and all of those things. So, yeah, I actually found out I was pregnant while I was in hospital having treatment for the hyperstimulation syndrome. <laughs> and it was, it was actually very um, anticlimactic because they, you know, they ran a series of bloods, just general bloods while I was in hospital and didn't tell me that one of those, they were checking the HCG levels, the pregnancy levels. And so then two days later or three days later, when they rechecked the bloods, they came in and said, yes, so your HCG has risen. So you definitely are pregnant. And I was like, well, I didn't know you checked that three days ago. No. I was still waiting so for the end of my two week wait. Like everybody I was waiting for someone to just walk in and have that moment of like, you're pregnant. You know, Aww. it just didn't happen. But um, I mean, obviously I'm still happy that it worked but yeah so that's why um I know that if they pick it up earlier then it's a it's a no for transfer but we didn't realize I had it until Lucy was already inside (laughs) but did that make you quite nervous in the early days knowing that you were going through that and transfer that maybe she wouldn't work out I think that's Mm. what I would be thinking yeah uh, it didn't really I think it was I was just a bit naive I just kind of thought um great. Okay. I'm pregnant. Well, then that's, that's great. Then I'm going to have a baby. It didn't even occur to me that something might go wrong. And I guess that's, I mean, yeah, that was quite naive of me, but that's how it actually ended up working out. And I'm obviously so grateful because I know that that's not how it works out for everyone. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I just got really, really lucky. So when you selected your sperm, were you, did you have the same one for IUI and the IVF round? Uh, no. So at my clinic, um, you couldn't sort of reserve the sperm after you do an IUI and unless it was successful. So what I mean, so if it's not successful, basically you start from scratch and you go back to the drawing board and you need to choose one for that next month of what's currently available. So, um, if oh, so if you're not successful on the first IUI and need to do another one, you can't, might not get the same donor. Yes, that's uh-huh. right. Because once, you know, they only, I think they only had uh, five spaces, five families that could use those, that donor. So yeah. if somebody else in that cycle had used the same donor and say they were the fifth family and they that worked for them, that donor was then out. So that following month, they may not appear on the list. So a few times I, I had a few donor changes in the IUI process, which was a bit unnerving, I guess. Mm. I, I kind of 
I wasn't overly excited about that. But again, obviously, it's a blessing in disguise when you look back because things worked out the way I wanted them to. Yeah. Um, once I went to IVF, that's a bit different because I've created a batch of embryos with that one donor. So all my children and all the embryos were all, it all created and conceived in that in that one moment. Yeah. And so that was a different donor than the IUI ones? It was. Yeah, it was a different donor because by the time I went to do the IVF um, cycle, it was, yeah, it was a different list. Um, but the donor that I chose was on the initial IUI list and he was in my top three and oh. at the last minute. So he was the one I was going to go with. And at the very last minute, for whatever reason, I went, no, 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 I'm going to choose my second choice. And as luck would have it, he ended up being my first choice. I should have just stuck with him to begin with. That's so weird, isn't it? But I guess yeah, had you done that, you might have got pregnant first time. You might not had. You might have. Had um, and then I might not later. Have... You don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm kind of grateful in that you know I didn't have to go through that whole process again, um, and it just worked out the way it was supposed to. That's what I believe. Hmm. So just interested. Obviously, you've got three children now. If you yes. were going into it thinking you wanted more than one, did the doctors try and say maybe we're better to do IVF so that you are getting those embryos for siblings later rather than IUI or they didn't really? Yeah, they, no, they didn't. Um, because because of my age, I was quite young. Um, I didn't have any real major health concerns or anything like that. Um, they kind of wanted to take a bit more of a conservative approach and they kind of thought that an IUI would just work and it would be easy and simple and cheaper than having to do a full IVF cycle. Um, but by the time you do three, of course, it's not actually that much cheaper than just doing an IVF cycle. But um, yeah, it was kind of like, just let's just take this step by step. And they, they just recommended to try IUI first, um, but no specific conversations around siblings. And I guess to be fair, I wasn't definite at that point. I couldn't even think beyond just wanting to conceive the first child what may lay ahead you know yeah yeah and so when you were pregnant with Lucy how was the pregnancy how did everything go uh it was pretty great uh for her she was healthy and fine always um and yeah she there was no issues with her I um had um what the doctors uh termed uh irritable uterus so from about 20 weeks uh, I started contracting um, and that was quite regular uh, for a period of time and then it would stop and then it would start again. And, of course, I had to keep getting checked because you never knew if it was going to be the real deal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so, <laughs> yeah, it was stressful because, you know, I was working in a corporate job and quite, um, uh, you know, I was in a managerial position and it was very difficult for me to keep stepping away and needing to drive the 40 odd minutes to the other side of Sydney to go to my hospital, you know, to get checked out and all of those things. And of course, when you call the midwives and say, listen, I'm 20 odd weeks and I'm having regular tightenings, they're not going to say, well, just stay where you are. They're going to say, come and get checked. So yeah, unfortunately there's a lot of back and forth getting checked out. Um, And they just deemed it, you know, uh, threatened premature labor and, I had to, you know, I had a couple of stays um, for some pain management and things like that, but we um, we held on and she didn't yeah. come too early. <laughs> so, yeah, she ended up being born at um, 38 and 4, so just 10 days early. Yeah. So, yeah. And how did the, the birth process go? Did you have some good support? 
um, for all of that. Um, natural. I don't I hate the word natural. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, she was a vaginal birth um, and it was pretty quick. Um, well, they all got quicker, but she was quick for a first. <laughs> um, it was two and a half hours. Um, by the end, it got really difficult for me to distinguish whether what I was feeling and contracting, whether that was real or not, because I was mm-hmm. just in pain all the time by the end. Um, but I decided one more time, I better go and get checked. It is getting worse. So, um yeah, I got in there and um, my dad was with me. My mum was actually out of state visiting family. So my dad was in there and he was, the plan was, he was just kind of going to drop me and I was just going to just go in there and just get checked and it was going to be a false alarm again. And then as we were driving into the hospital, we realised, actually, no, no, this is this is definitely at this time. Right. Um, and at the very last minute, I was like, actually, when you park the car, can you actually come in? Because I suddenly, I just want you to come in. I was just going to, you know, I don't know, figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so my dad was there actually, and it was pretty quick. Um, yeah, two and a half hours and she was there. No complications or anything. So I got pretty lucky there. And how were the um, first a few weeks once you went home with her? Was it what you expected? Easier, harder? Yeah. Um, I yeah, pretty fine actually. I didn't find it very hard. Um, my, I mean, I know it's very different to being a parent, but I have two younger brothers who are twelve and fourteen years younger than me, mm-hmm. and so I was involved a lot in their kind of caretaking, and I was used to having babies around and younger children around and things like that. So I wasn't daunted by the process. I wasn't one of those people who's like, I have never held a small child before, <laughs> um, and I felt pretty confident in you know, physically caring for this baby. Um, so, and I think I got pretty lucky. Um, you know, she was a pretty good baby and, you know, breastfeeding was easy for us and things just worked and it was great. So we didn't really have any concerns. It was really lovely, actually. <laughs> Hence why just after a year later you went, I'll have another one. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I just, I don't know, I just felt ready and I thought, yeah, I, I really want to see you be a big sister and I want, you know, I want her to have that and I want me to have that and, yeah, I just felt ready. There's no other way to sort of explain it, so off I went. And how <laughs> I was, was yeah. pregnancy and everything with Theo then? Um, basically the same but then elevated a bit more. Um, the tightenings <laughs> happened again. I kind of was hoping maybe naively, that it was a one-off, you know, it was just that pregnancy. Um, But, yeah, it was a lot of back and forth to the hospital, but this time with a two-year-old in tow. Um, And so that was not overly fun. But, again, he was always fine, you know, everything about the baby was fine and I was always grateful for that. Um, But, yeah, we just sort of muddled through and then he, um, he was actually born at exactly 37 weeks. So we missed, we, well, we avoided have him having to stay in special care or anything um, by about four hours. Oh, wow. Because uh, that was when he became full term, uh, yeah. exactly. So that was good. <laughs> and did you know you were having him this time? Because imagine with all the contractions the whole time, yes. it's so hard to tell which ones the real ones are. Yes. So I was worried going into it second time because of that. Um, mm. And so my waters decided to spontaneously rupture um 
at Lovely. yeah the night of 36 weeks and six days. Um, I still believe my friend jinxed me because I she had just sent me a message and said, listen, I'm going to keep my phone on overnight. If anything happens tonight, you know, let me know. <laughs> And I said to her, I'm not even 37 weeks yet. Nothing's going to happen. Turn your phone off and go to sleep. And I laid down in bed and 20 minutes later, my water broke. I was in bed and I thought, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Just did that. Yeah. So that was the only way I knew. Um, And I didn't have any contractions or anything. Once again, my, uh, my mom and my dad this time were interstate. So my at the time 18 year old brother on his freshly new pea plates uh drove me to the hospital oh, wow. <laughs> um that was a bit nerve-wracking in itself no it's all right we got there and yeah and then nothing was happening I wasn't having any any contractions so they thought oh we'll just admit you to the ward um and you know we'll just keep an eye on you and if nothing happens we'll induce you um and then yeah I finally got to the ward uh, I think I sat on the bed for 10 minutes and then I had my first contraction and yeah. I called the bell and I said to the midwife, I need to go to the delivery suite now. And she said, oh, you're fine. It's just your first contraction. I'll just go and get the CTG. And so she wandered off to get the trolley to bring it back in. And by the time she got back, she looked at my face and she realised how urgent this was and I just remember it was like something out of a movie you know she grabbed a wheelchair as quick as she could and the next thing I'm in it and she's it's like Mario Kart it was she was so fast getting around from the ward to the delivery suite and yeah it was an hour from that first contraction um to him being born um yeah and in my arms so yeah she was like oh I didn't I didn't quite realize how imminent that was <laughs> yeah so I and was someone else looking after Lucy during all of that or um yes yeah, so my other teenage brother or maybe he was about 20 at the time uh yeah he sort of he uh, was sitting with her uh it was night like sort of overnight yeah. um so for those hours he just um yeah he was just sort of there to, to keep an eye on her um but I was conscious that you know, I'd never actually been away from her before and I didn't know how that was all going to go. And I had left her obviously in safe hands, but with my younger siblings who don't have children and were kind of like, uh, what do we do? So, yeah, I had Theo at 4 a.m. and mm-hmm. I was back on my couch at 10 a.m. I had him in the birth centre and I got all the checks and everything done and they have like an early discharge program. So I was like, look, if we're all good, I really, I've got a toddler i got to get back to. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, so that was, it was good um, to get back and just to be back with her and be comfortable in my own house. It's a, yeah. And how did that go, having a two-year-old and a brand-new baby? Um, Actually pretty good. Um, Lucy was great. She was never jealous or or smothering, you know, she was just kind of like, well, if my current needs are met, then I'm good. I don't really mind that there's another person here. Um, if I'm still getting all the things that I need, yeah. we've got no issues. So it was fine. Um, yeah, she, he just kind of fit in. Um, and, you know, I, I wore him in the carrier a lot more and I wrapped him because then I could chase around after Lucy and, yeah. um yeah, but it was great. She she had no issues and 
and it was really lovely. And then what made you decide, hey, I'm going to try for number three? (laughs) Well, um, I just, I didn't feel done. And I sat on that for a a long time, a a really long time, because um, I thought, you know, this feeling is probably going to go away. And, you know, I've got time. The embryos are sitting there. Age is still on my side um, because I started this relatively early and there's no rush. So I didn't rush and I waited and I waited and, and we went through a whole bunch of stuff with Theo's health and um, back and forth in hospitals and all sorts of drama and it still didn't go away. And I thought if I'm going through all of this with Theo and I've, we've got all these challenges and all these so-called possibly reasons why I shouldn't go for another baby, you know, why I should feel done because I have so much on my plate. Mm-hmm. But I'm still feeling that that want, desire, urge for another baby, then maybe I should actually stop ignoring it and just really start to consider. So, yeah, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give this one more go and just see what happens. Um no sort of set plan. I wasn't going to go, okay, well, if the first one doesn't work, then I'll wait this much time. And it was kind of like, I'm just going to transfer an embryo and just see what happens. And if it sticks, it sticks. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And we'll just figure it out. And I've kind of just kind of had that mentality, you know, try not to think too far ahead in this scenario. Um, And that's what I did. I just went, okay, I'm going to stop ignoring that because it's been a very long time that I've been thinking about it. So, yeah, I did the first transfer and it didn't work. And then I thought, actually, no, yeah, I do want to try again because that's what I want to do. So I did the next cycle and I lost two along the way and then uh, embryos, that is. And then, yeah, that but that second transfer was successful and that was Gracie. How was that pregnancy? <laughs> oh, you know, interesting. Um, same things again. again. Yeah. Same things again. And I thought, yeah, this is this is my body. So, yeah. Um, yeah, uh, it it was basically the same thing, except this time I had two children in tow when I had to go and get checked in hospital. So um, that was always fun. Um, I did have um, some support and some friends that could help out here and there, but, you know, people work and they have their own lives and, you know, I, nobody is available 24-7. Um, so there was, yeah, I had to bring them and, and it is what it is, which, um, you know, overall the staff were always fairly accommodating considering this is all through COVID and, you know, mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be the only person there. They can't turn me away at the door with two small children when I need to get checked out. It's just, um, you know, they were quite understanding. So, yeah, um, same thing really. Baby was always fine. She was, um, she, there was not an issue. It was just my body. And, um, yeah, my body just doesn't do well <laughs> with pregnancy. Um, but, again, we held on. Um, and, yeah, she was born at... Um, 37.3 so Just between the other two then yeah yeah pretty much yeah so I was very glad to see the end of that pregnancy um, yeah. I, I was very very done that's it wow. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm pretty sure I'm done I I don't feel like anyone can say 100% well or maybe I just can't say 100% but I can't say 100% but I'm pretty sure I'm done yes <laughs> And was her um, entry into this world just as eventful as the other two? Yeah. Um, yeah, there's lots of and false were, starts. And were your parents actually in state last time? Were my parents in the state? No, they weren't. 
um, <laughs> because they moved interstate, actually. So, um, no, no, they they were they were in another state for every birth, uh, except for my dad for the first one. But, um, yeah, no, they weren't. And I did it alone and it was awesome. Um, it was really great. I had kind of always wanted to experience a water birth. And mm-hmm. with the first two, it just kind of didn't happen because it was always a whirlwind and, you know, just never got the chance. Um, but this time um, I had actually gone to the hospital to get checked out again. And they had seen that I was dilating and they said, listen, we're just, um, we're, they finally agreed that they were going to um, induce me just to sort of end this process in a, a few, few days later, about four days after. And then um, every, yeah, my, I think, I think her heart rate was going a little bit fast and there was something that was happening when she was on the CTG. She was safe and she was fine, but there was a few markers that meant the doctors went, actually, do you know what? You're here, you're contracting the baby. Let's just get her out. Like she's cooked. Let's just do this because we're going to put an end to everyone's misery because they knew that I would have probably been back the next day with the same things happening. Mm. Um, So because we semi had time this time, I said, look, I had even a chance to to voice that I'd love to try and get in the tub. And so they said, yep, okay, we'll break your waters. And then we'll, if it works out, we can have a go in the, in the tub. And I warned them because it was obviously different stuff that this goes quick. And I, <laughs> they knew, they knew how fast it went the first time. And then it halved in, you know, the second time. And so then, um, they broke my waters and very soon after I had, I think I had five minutes or 10 minutes and I had my first strong contraction and I knew it was, that was basically it. I was, I virtually went from nothing to being in transition and they were racing to fill up this tub as quickly as they could. <laughs> and so any, they, like they just, they, I could, I could hear them in the background going, is that as fast as it goes? Yes, it's as fast as it goes. I don't think we're going to have time. Um, Need to get I enough water in, in there. Exactly. Yeah, it was really funny. But um, yeah, I managed to get in the tub and uh, for 10 minutes, the last 10 minutes, and she was born in the water, which was great. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah, it it was, and it all went well, there was no complications and everything like that. So I can't, I can't complain. I was very lucky with, with the births and everything like that. So yeah. Dramatic, but sort of easy. Yeah, like dramatic, but no serious complications, you know, just like adrenaline rush, but everyone was okay. So that's the main thing. And did you stay in hospital for a token couple of hours again with this one or did you stay a little bit longer? I I was going to because my friend had had the older two and I don't know, I just kind of, I felt guilty. Like I always do everything on my own and I was like, look, I can come back, you know, I can come and get them, everything's fine. And she's like, stay everything's okay. You know, they're four and six or they're just about to be four and six and they're okay. You know, it's, it's different to having a a two-year-old that you've never left before. Mm. I'm fine. They're fine. Just have at least one night. So I did. Um, Yeah. I stayed one night and it felt a bit weird because like the, the baby wasn't doing anything. She's just laying there and I'm laying there twiddling my thumbs and I'm thinking, I, I never do nothing. <laughs> I never just lay here. And I, I just, it was hard for me to just relax. Um, but yeah, it was, it was nice. You know, a couple hours later she was in the wrap and I was wandering down to grab a coffee from the cafe and the midwives are like, are you sure you're okay to go and 
go to the hospital cafeteria and I was like oh yeah I'm fine yeah I, I would really love a coffee it's my third one I'm okay. it's been a long time. yeah exactly they're like this isn't your first baby is it I'm like no <laughs> yeah but I'm stubborn so that's just me <laughs> no I wouldn't pick that <laughs> and so life with three how's that going honestly it's it's good um I I had low expectations and it exceeded them, which is mm-hmm. always great. Um, the kids are awesome. And I think the age gap works being um, six and four. Um, you know, they, they understand we can have a conversation. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go into the room and put the baby down to bed and you can stay out here and watch your favorite show or, you know, whatever it is. And then when she's asleep, then it's going to be your time. And they get that, you know, so that's not, um, I'm not juggling, you know, trying to hold all the balls at once. Um, and yeah, they like they adore her, but again, they're not smothering. So, and they're not jealous. So I kind of just got this great middle line of like, they're happy that she's around, but they're not, they don't have any overly strong emotions about her, which is yeah. kind of ideal. Yeah. So yeah. it sounds like you have some pretty good support along the way. How were your parents and family and close friends when you told them that this is something you were going to do? Um, initially, they were a bit hesitant. And I would say mostly that was because of my age. And I think that's a pretty fair call. Um, most people kind of say, you've got plenty of time to meet the right person. Um, you know, you don't have to rush into it. And there's time. You've got time up your sleeve. Like, you don't need to make this decision now. And obviously it came from a good place. They just want what's best for me. They weren't overly opposed to it, but they just were cautious and concerned. Um, But, you know, once I explained my reasoning and my thought process and, um, you know, they they came around, there was no really overly strong feelings about it. And they were obviously really happy for me when I decided to have the baby. For me, going through this process has not been one that I've had to think about too much because I mean I'm a lesbian so I was always going to be going through fertility I was always going to be using a sperm donor and I think that just made the whole process much easier because I didn't have to really have this massive shift in my mind about what what you know the way I was going to be conceiving you know and sort of grieving any type of process though my children were always going to be conceived with the sperm donor what they don't have is a second mother, you mm. know? So it's, I think that's, that's unique. That's a bit different for me. Um, so I was like, well, yeah, I'd be doing this process anyway. I just don't, I don't have that second parent going through that process with me. Um, yeah. I was quite comfortable with the whole process. And I think, you know, people around me were supportive and they came around to it and, you know, they obviously adore the children and everything's good. How do you find the support now? Because obviously your parents have moved interstate. Yeah. Do you find that more difficult or you're pretty comfortable? Um, yeah, I mean, I miss them and I, I wish they were around. I mean, we visit, we've visited over Christmas and we're about to head up there in a couple of days. Um, and to be able to do that is really lovely. And, you know, it's a holiday for the kids and everyone is excited. Um, I've always been pretty independent and um I've always kind of done most of it completely solo anyway um even when they were in Sydney um you know yeah of course we'd visit and things like that but I didn't really leave them 
to be babysat. They didn't care for them, you know, on an ongoing basis or anything like that. The, you know, they had their own lives and they were working and I've always done my own thing. Um, it's just that we can't visit, you know, mm. on, on a weekend and things like that now. But yeah, I mean, I've got some really supportive friends and I know that people would um, do anything at the drop of a hat if I need them. Um, and there has been times, especially with Theo's um, medical conditions, I have had to rely on support and have Lucy looked after by various people, um, you know, my younger brothers and fr- uh, friends and things. But I'm, I'm, it's hard for me to ask for help and accept help, but there are certain times where it has to happen. That's quite common with the most solo mums that I talk to, I think. Quite yeah. Constant yeah. trait is that we're all quite stubborn and independent. <laughs> Not good at 100%. asking for help. Yep. No, no. Yeah. And I, I am I am working on it definitely because I know that I need to do that. But but genuinely, we, I really don't need much help. It's mostly when I need to stop, like drop everything and get Theo to the hospital and things like that. So, yeah. Have you found that you've built a bit of a support network through with other mums, like through a mother's group or daycare or school or anything like that? Or is it mainly just your, your friends that you had prior? Yeah, um, I, um, I'm still part of a mums group that I, uh, that was created when, an informal mums group that was created when uh, I had Lucy. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, their, their oldest children are all around uh, my daughter's age and um, they're, they're a great um, support, little support network um, that we're in in constant contact with. Um, School, not so much because she, uh, she's only only one this year and Kindy was, you know, stop and start with COVID. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't, not really so much there. Um, but yeah, the mum's group definitely is, is a nice little support network. And I've, I've always been really grateful for their, their help, even if it's just to talk things out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not physically all really close anymore um, geographically, but just to sort of send a message and say, hey, what do you guys think about this? And just someone to bounce some ideas off is sometimes really lovely. Yeah, yeah. Especially with kids a similar age, you can say, yeah, Lucy's doing this. Is, what, is this what yours are doing as well? Is this normal? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's been really good. Is there anything you wish you'd done differently when you look back now on your journey? Uh, I mean, I wish I skipped the IUIs. Mm-hmm. in the sense that I could have saved some cash and, you know, um, skipped that process. But um, but really, in the scheme of things, that's pretty much the only thing. I, I, I wouldn't say um, there would be anything else. Um, I'm really happy. I adore the children, obviously, and um, I'm really happy with the life that we have. So, yeah, I don't really have any regrets. And I, and I don't regret starting at 29, 28. Um, I don't regret that. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I did it when I did. Um, yeah, it's all so far so good. <laughs> and it sounds like the age gaps you've got have worked out really, really well as well, even though they weren't necessarily intentional sort of worked out. Yeah. It, yeah, it really did. Lucy was, yeah, not old, not really old enough to kind of be too shook by the fact that he was there. And this time, as I said, they're both old enough to, you know, help in certain ways and really understand and and be patient and we all have our moments but you know overall they they've they've been really great so yeah the age gap has been awesome 
And if someone else was 28 and considering this journey, what advice would you give them? Um, I would, I would tell them to have a really good think about it. I wouldn't tell them to dive straight in um, because I think regardless of age, you do want to make sure that you're doing it, um, that it's not something that you're taking on lightly. Obviously it's a, it's a massive thing. Um, But I think that if they have genuinely thought it out and, you know, they've, they really know what they want and why they want it. If it is something that they want to do, then I think that they should go for it because, mm-hmm. um, you know, what did they say? You don't regret the kids that you have. Um, and I just think like you, you, you're not going to regret it. There's, there's hard times, but there's hard times in life, whether you have children or you don't, whether you have a partner or you don't, whether you have a million dollars or you don't, <laughs> everyone has hard times. And um, I don't, I don't think that having a child makes that any worse it just makes it a different kind of hard <laughs> and have you got any tips because obviously you look like super mum on instagram with managing all three of them and all of their passions and interests and everything else <laughs> what what do you think it is that makes it that your home life works with three of you or four of you um yeah um i don't i don't know if i have any real tips i just think that you have to sometimes be okay with letting some things not be done so not everything has to get done that day um you you will always have a to-do list and you know you don't have to tick every single thing off that to-do list you just need to do what you can get done and be kind be kind to yourself about that um you know because it's easy to go oh I didn't get this done. I didn't get this done. And I'm so tired and I've still got this to do. And I've still got to do. hang on a second. It was a great day. We went to the park, you know, we, I chucked a load of washing in. Um, we had, we had a picnic in the balcony, you know, then we did this and then we did that. And it was like, well, actually we got some really cool things done. And um, that next load of washing is still going to be there because it's always going to be there. There is you know, always washing, always. <laughs> it's always washing. It's insane. I, I, I don't know how that happens, but <laughs> Yeah, I just think that would be my main thing is like just be kind to yourself because there's always going to be stuff to do, but you, you're, you're one person. Just get what you can done and enjoy those children. Like just spend time with them and love, love them and things will work out. <laughs> so you're obviously on maternity leave now. Will you be going back to full-time work or part-time or what's your sort of intentions in the future? Yeah, when I had when I first had Lucy, I thought, oh yeah, I'll just have her and then um, just jump back into full time work when she's like, I don't know, twelve weeks or whatever it is, and <laughs> it'll be fine. And there's a daycare center across the road from my office, so I'll just put her in there. And then between meetings, I'll just like go across and breastfeed her, and then come back, and it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that may genuinely work for some people. I, you know, and that's amazing. But very quickly after I had her, I I had a bit of a reality check for me. And I went, oh, (laughs) I don't think that that's going to (laughs) happen. So, yeah, that didn't happen. Um, I And then then after I had Theo, um, it became more apparent that I was going to need to take take some more time because... um, you know, he's had a couple of um, medical issues come up and 
now and then I went I did go back to work um on a part-time basis Mm -hmm. um and I managed to fit all of his therapies and appointments in Monday to Wednesday and so I had Thursdays and Fridays where I could um get some work in which was awesome um and then yeah and then now that I've had the baby um I have to just kind of reassess I definitely would like to go back um it will have to be part-time again because I I have so much to do for Theo in particular Mm -hmm. um that I think that working full-time in in the foreseeable future is probably not going to be very likely but I definitely would like to get back into it at least part-time if I can coordinate everything yeah 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 I don't know I just look at your life and it's just wow <laughs> somehow you find the time to make these amazing lunches for for the kids and they're also passionate that, about their dance and they're also bloody photogenic as well <laughs> the the lunches is actually that's it's mostly a hobby honestly I genuinely enjoy it um and it started because I I started doing it um, when Lucy was a toddler, because she was, you know, that typical sort of fussy eater as a toddler, and and I I really wanted to just make food fun, and I knew that as soon as I put a little bit of effort in, it got gobbled down, and you know she was excited about it, and so it just became a bit of a thing, and I wanted, to, yeah, I wanted her to just have that little moment where she like opened her lunchbox at the school, and she was like, wow, like what is it today, you know, and just like the just some little spark of like I don't know maybe it's one of my love languages I don't you know I I just I like to I just know I just I like seeing the look on her face when she sees it and I like knowing that she's eating it and you know it's fun and it's fun for me to start my day doing it so I know a lot of people think why why are you spending time doing you know these lunches but it really doesn't take that long and it's kind of like I'm just used to it. That's how I start my weekdays. And if I don't do it, it feels weird. <laughs> so. I will tag the Instagram page in because I just love it. And Lexi's getting a little <laughs> bit fussy, so I've been trying a little bit of it, but I'm glad that they yeah. feeds her so I don't have to think about lunch. <laughs> but once it comes to school, I think I'll be stealing many of your ideas. <laughs> so just imparting, is there anything else that you'd like to say to anyone listening to your amazing story? Um. No, I I just think um, if people are listening because they're thinking about potentially doing it, um, well, I can say I have no regrets. Um, If people are listening just out of curiosity, well, there you go. That's my story. Um, (laughs) And obviously I'm I'm happy to answer any other questions that that might come up. Um, But, yeah, mostly I'm just really grateful to have the time to, to chat and I think it's a really lovely little series you've got going. And I think that it's, um, it's really important to capture these stories. Um, everyone's journey is a little bit different. And, um, yeah, I'm really grateful that mine is now being told too. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story. I can't wait for everybody to hear it. I'm Alicia, and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast, bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending. If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes, and leave a like, a review, or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.